Good morning. Once again, my name is Natalie Cole from the marketing team at Dickerson Insurance Services. We are very happy you could join us for today's webinar on what advisors need to know about Roundstone benefit captives from mid-sized employers. Now, before I introduce today's presenter, I want to let you all know that we welcome your questions. Please enter them in the question box in the lower right-hand corner of your screen, and we will answer them at the conclusion of this presentation. Today's presenter is Mr. David Fears Sr., a 40-year veteran of the employee benefits industry. Dave merged his organization, Shepler and Fear, with Dickerson and the Alera Group in May 2019. Dave's expertise and background are in the areas of alternative funding, benefit plan compliance, and group purchasing arrangements. He is also the former president of the National Association of Health Underwriters and the 2015 recipient of the Harold R. Gordon Memorial Award from NAHU as the Health Insurance Person of the Year. So Dave, how are you this morning? I'm good, thanks, Natalie. Good to be back. Good to have you back. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's uh, nice to be back uh, among you. We're, we're running uh, today at 11 o'clock as opposed to our normal 10.30 startup time because we had some other, other things scheduled, but uh, appreciate you all being able to join with us. Today, um, as we did last time, we focused on a particular carrier in, in our alternative funding um, uh, product portfolio. And today's uh, carrier partner that we're talking about is the Roundstone Group. They operate a, a medical captive program. And uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Roundstone program and how it works and uh, why it works. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we'll, we'll move ahead here. Let me use in a different system. Uh, this is no surprise to anyone out there, but uh, as, as you all know, um, you know, double-digit health premium increases have become the norm. Now, this year may be the first time in about five years that uh, maybe those rate increases on the fully insured side are not going to be quite as high. But as we talk to people throughout the country, uh, we're, we're seeing clearly 10% uh, or more rate increases for a lot of the uh, programs that uh, are in existence, uh, fully insured programs. Um, what I'm hearing from a number of brokers, however, is that this year those rate increases may be under uh, double digit because uh, plan design changes are being made. Uh, in deductibles are increasing, out-of-pocket limits are increasing, things of that nature. So uh, it, it's always a big balancing act here when you're trying to buy benefits to uh, um, you know, provide your employees and say, you know, what's... Uh, What's the worth of this feature versus another and, and, and what have you. So it's a, it's a problem that uh, has gone on for quite a while. Um, what we truly know is that employers typically in the 20 to, to 1000 marketplace are, they are responding to these rate increases, as I said, by shifting costs to their workers, uh, which does have an effect on their ability to uh, re recruit and retain top talent in today's a top market. As I as I said, um, one of the strategies that a lot of brokers are having to share with employers is to say, look, uh, instead of uh, 
a five thousand dollar out of pocket limit, we're going to increase that up to six or seven thousand dollars, or the deductible from five hundred to twelve hundred and fifty, et cetera. And that that strategy, while it does have an effect on the price, is makes it difficult for employers to compete on the open market for uh, employees, especially from from larger firms. Um, I don't think it's any surprise to any of you to know that the healthcare uh, benefit cost sharing is is rising quite high. And as you can see, since since 2009, uh, over a 10-year period, while uh, the general rate of uh, inflation uh, was was fairly low, uh, we also see that workers' uh, earnings remained uh, fairly low as well. And yet, the cost of um, premiums, especially uh, uh, the premiums for family coverage, uh, has exceeded that. And then, of course, the deductibles that they're offering as a result of this have increased substantially. So what was being touted as, as a uh, effectively a $1,000 deductible plan in 2009 is now more like a $1,600 deductible plan. So this is an issue that uh, a lot of employers who are in the market, who are providing benefits, are, are dealing with, and they're not happy about it. So here's the reality for, for small and mid-sized businesses today. First off, health benefits are among the top three expenses uh, that they pay for. You've got payroll, you've got uh, workers' comp uh, insurance costs, uh, taxes, et cetera. We know that the current costs will probably double every four years, the rate things are going. And, um, and unfortunately for the small employers, they have zero reporting to analyze their increase. In other words, small employers are not getting claims experience of any type uh, from, uh, uh, from the carriers that they're contracting with. That's a problem. In some states like Texas, for example, the law requires that carriers provide these uh, small employers with claims history. That's not true in many other states, including uh, here in California. And so employers are have this expense that's doubling every four years. They don't they don't have the ability to analyze the expense in terms of you know what's being paid and how much is being paid, and it causes a lot of frustration. And there are a number of employers who've said you know maybe I just need to get out of this. Maybe I maybe uh, maybe a Medicare for all program would be better because I don't have to worry about that like I do my own plan. So. Uh, what Roundstone basically says is, look, we, we, uh, we're a mid-sized employer ourselves. We understand how healthcare costs can, can burden your business. And, and for more than a decade, we've been able to deliver affordable health insurance benefits that are saving their clients an average of 20%. So what we're going to talk a little bit about is how Roundstone has done this and how their, how their program works. Um, this is a little bit about Roundstone as a company as a whole. They've been around since 2003. Uh, they were they came together uh, because they had a number of employers that said we need to do something different than than what we're doing. And is, is there a way to to do that? So today, there are more than 40 uh, private and public captives operating uh, in in uh, in the country. And uh, the total healthcare spend is is uh, over six hundred million dollars that these um, uh, employers are, are are spending money on, 
and they're averaging these these captives that have been organized are they're averaging a seven percent distribution to captive participants and we'll talk more about that in a minute uh, the Roundstone program as it exists today has over 400 employers participating in 40 states among uh, 282 cities and they cover approximately uh, 77,000 lives. Uh, they are approved to do business in all 50 states and so that's, uh, that's definitely a good sign. Um, what Roundstone basically says is look, we, we believe that we provide a program that allows small employers to buy health benefits like a Fortune 500 company. Uh, 90%, we know that 90% of employers with more than 1,000 employees are self-funding today, and they're using the traditional ERISA plan, the self-funded ERISA plan, to do that. Uh, large employers have the ability to manage their health benefit spend to inflation levels rather than medical trend levels, which typically have been running three to four times inflation over the last uh, 40 years and these same large employers are are have the best in class provider networks they they feature uh, carve out uh, pbm programs specialized centers of excellence and population management tools that are used to control costs and what roundstone brings to the table is that uh, as a as a group ca medical captive they enable these same results for small to mid-sized businesses because they're doing the same things as a captive that these large uh, Fortune 500 companies are doing. So as a group captive, we're talking about multiple employers who participate in the program. They're pooling together uh, their resources. It is not considered a multiple employer welfare arrangement. I wanna make sure that, that we're all clear on that. Uh, a group captive operates very differently than that. So what is a group medical captive? Well. It is a health insurance pool formed by companies banding together to reduce the cost of their medical benefit spend in, the, in its simplest way. Uh, they, are, they are not purchasing fully insured coverage. They are typically self-insuring and therefore under ERISA are exempt from state uh, taxes and state insurance regulation by uh, participating in this captive program, which is a self-insured captive. So what, what is the difference if you're, if you're a small to mid-sized business, what, what's the difference between a group captive, a self-funded plan, and a fully insured plan? Well, let's start with the fully insured plan. As, as you all know, a fully insured plan means that there's 100% fixed cost. You, you pay 100% of the premium to the insurance carrier, and the insurance carrier is responsible for all of the risk. Uh, they're also responsible for all of the profits. So if they have an underwriting gain, if you pay an insurance carrier um, $100,000 in premium in the year and they only pay out $50,000 in claims, uh, the difference is uh, profit and they get to keep that. And that's, that's uh, the traditional insurance plan. And I'm not saying there's, there's anything bad about that. Uh, it, it's, it, it works well for a number of companies. Um, a self-funded plan changes that somewhat because in a self-funding arrangement, there's uh, a about 40% of the total costs are fixed costs, which gives you a little bit more control. In other words, you're, you're paying for 
uh, stop loss premium and you're paying for administrative services and uh, everything else that you pay for are, is a variable cost uh, of claims. And under a self-funded plan, the employer assumes 100% of claims volatility, meaning that uh, if they have big claims and that they don't have stop loss insurance, uh, they're responsible for all of those claims. Hence, most self-funded employers in the United States today buy some form of uh, specific or aggregate or both uh, types of stop loss. So how is a group captive different? Well, it's different in two ways. First off, the amount of fixed dollars that you pay in a captive uh, are, are uh, reduced substantially over a, a self-funded plan. About 15% of your medical benefit spend is fixed cost, and the rest of it is a variable cost that you are able to um, uh, uh, keep, if you would, keep the profits if you, uh, uh, if you don't spend all that money. And you say, well, how is a group captive different from a self-funded plan? And I'm going to show you that here in a minute because it's a, it's a concept that has been working well for almost uh, two decades. Um, so here's, here's how it works. There are three types of risk uh, within uh, a captive program. There's the risk taking in which the employer self-insures at least the first $10,000 of claims per member per policy period. Now, to be candid with you, most employers who are in the captives that we deal with, and Brownstone is, is not any different, uh, they take more risk than $10,000. I would say the average employer is probably uh, taking well over $25,000 and maybe in some cases, 40 or 50,000. So think about that as the specific stop loss that they would normally be purchasing outside of a captive if they were working directly on their own as a self-funded account. Then there is uh, what we call risk sharing. And, and so in this example, for all, all claims between $10,000 and $500,000, the employers pool their stop loss premium and claims together as a, as a captive as a whole. And then there's risk shifting, which means that if claims exceed $500,000 on any one person or 125% of expected aggregate claims, then reinsurance is purchased and those large catastrophic claims are then paid by the reinsurance company. So you've got a, uh, uh, taken a, a good example of a premature baby, a $1.2 million claim. The employer is gonna be responsible in this case for the first $10,000. The uh, captive is responsible for the next $490,000, and then the reinsurance company for all of the claims above $500,000. Um, now, you say, well, how is that any different than, than what they would buy on the street from a, a, a stop-loss carrier? And here's, here's how it works. Again, as I said before, most of your small claims are paid by the employer uh, out of the employer's own claims account, just like a, a normal self-funded plan would work. But as you know, most employers buy stop-loss insurance, like specific stop-loss in particular, and uh, they're saying in this case, if you were to buy a specific stop-loss policy with a $10,000 deductible, which as I said before, it's actually higher than that now, uh, 
you're responsible for up to 10,000. And then the carrier normally is responsible for anything over 10,000. In this case, the, um, uh, the, the captive is gonna be responsible for anything between 10,000 and 500,000. And so they pool all of that money together in, in the form of premium that they would have been paying. They pool it in the captive and then the captive pays out those claims. And here's the nice thing about it is, if there's a surplus of money in the captive at the end of the year, it's paid back to the participants. And that's called an annual reconciliation. So in, in this case, understanding this shared layer, it's very important. In this case, there, take for example, there are six employers and each uh, all six of employers between them all are paying a total of $15 million in premium for their shared layer, their, their stop loss insurance, okay? Uh, and, it, and it varies by employer size. You know, ABC company is paying 2 million. Then whereas uh, um, the EFG uh, LLP company is paying $4 million in premium, but they pool all of that together. Uh, the captive then uh, pays the claims that come in and in this case, they, they collected $15 million of premium. They paid out $12.6 million in claims, and they ended up distributing back to these employers uh, $2.4 million in total distributions. And again, um, uh, the, uh, the $15 million, again, is to fund for any claims between $10,000 and $500,000, regardless of which employer incurs that claim. Okay, so they don't specifically uh, say, uh, you know, it was just this one employer that had this big claim. That's, that's not the way this works. They all, they all share in that risk together and they all share in the, in the premium distribution or the uh, captive distribution together, again, based on um, their, their total amount of, of uh, payment. So again, when you, when you, when you look at uh, the fixed versus the variable cost. Well, where does the money go? Well, again, the fixed cost of this program is that they're paying for reinsurance, the stop loss reinsurance. Uh, that's the uh, $500,000 specific stop loss. And they're paying for the um, uh, aggregate stop loss premium as well. That's the premium for the aggregate loss fund, which is set at 125% of expected paid claims. And then they're paying, so they're paying these reinsurance stop loss premiums. They're paying for the administrative cost to the TPA and for the broker consultant involved. And that amounts to 15% of the total spend that they have. So that's money that they're, they're not gonna get any of that back if they have a good or bad year, those are fixed dollars. Then about 25% of their total spend is the pooled premium and collateral. And you'll notice back on this earlier slide, there was a little, this corner here is called collateral. And, and most um, employers who participate in a captive are asked to put up front some collateral money. And it might be um, a fraction of what their total spend will be, but they're asked to put some of that up upfront uh, in the form of collateral uh, as a credit, if you would, towards their total premium commitment. So they pay the pool premium, they pay the collateral, and that's, a, again, about 25% of the total cost. And then, as I said before, if they have a good year, they're going to get some of that money back 
based on how the pool as a whole did of this of this variable uh, uh, cost here. And then, uh, of course, the vast majority of their money, and in this case, 60%, is a variable cost because that's the employer claims account. That's the that's the claims on on everything below ten thousand dollars per person, and so that claims account, which they have normally in a self-funded plan anyway, that claims account is still uh, belongs to the employer. It's still their money, and if they fund it, uh, and they get a re they have a surplus at the end of the year, they keep that money, but they'll fund it up to that aggregate stop loss level that we talked about earlier. So, so. From a stop loss cost perspective, that's where captives are at. They the ability to refund back to captive participants um, a portion of their money for the pooling premium that they're paying for. Uh, to use an example, if I were buying stop loss on the open street, say from the XYZ stop loss insurance company, I would expect that that's a fixed cost. I won't get any of that money back because the stop loss insurance company is taking all the risk. And so now you say, well, if I took that same money that I'm paying the stop loss insurance company and I paid it to the captive, then they're going to provide the reinsurance for the big claims and then the pooled amount for the, what I call the, the, uh, uh, the middle part of the claims, the 10,000 to $500,000 claim layer. And that money could be returned to me, uh, a portion of it returned to me based on how the captive does as a whole. So, that's that's all fine and good, but then, well, what 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 does the captive really bring to the table here that makes it special? That uh, you know, why would I do business with one captive over another? Or what are they doing that maybe my my current third party administrator is is not doing? And so most captives feature some long term cost containment strategies and solutions, and that's. That's one of the most important parts of what we need to talk about today. In the Roundstone program, they've implemented what's called a CSI, and I know we've all heard that, you know, probably watched that TV show, but their, their CSI, it stands for Cost Savings Investigators. And they have a team put together and they, they work to help business owners participating in their group captive to ease the high cost of medical claims. And so they tap into the power of data analytics that are used to track claims over time. And then the CSI team recommends cost containment strategies that will save the employers and their employees uh, money. And this comes at no additional cost to the employer. It just simply makes the cost savings opportunities as seamless as possible. Uh, again, when you think about the fact that they've got all of this data, this analysis data, which, which if you're an insurance carrier in this business, you're analyzing that data too, because you want to keep your claim payments down. Well, that's what the CSI, the cost savings investigators at the Roundstone program work with, and they do a pretty darn good job of it. Um, uh, what they've, what they, what they will tell you is, is that we've, we've developed uh, a number of programs which allow our, our people to buy prescription drugs at a lower cost, uh, pass through, for example, uh, all of those uh, prescription drug rebates. And, and you know, I'm not gonna get into a political discussion about rebates, but frankly, in a lot of cases, in fully insured plans and, and some self-funded programs, those rebate dollars from the prescription drug companies they don't flow back to the employer, okay? 
they're being held by the insurance company or in some cases by the third party administrator to offset quote administrative costs. And so in this case, what Roundstone does is they negotiate with these PBMs and they have a 100% pass through savings to the group. And as you all know, uh, the cost of prescription drugs is very high in this country. And when you're getting 100% of these rebates back through, it makes a huge difference on your net overall spend. Um, and they have an example in here about an individual who was spending $60,000 a year in claims related just to their prescription drugs. And as a result of, of those pass-throughs of, of uh, the rebates and all, they had uh, they reduced their claim spend by 47%. And on in fact, on, on this particular individual, they had $28,000 of claim reductions just for this one employee. And so there are just dozens of examples of, of being able to dig in there and look at this. And the CSI team uh, recommended in, that the company switch to an independent PBM that passed through the full savings. So these are the kind of things that many employers by themselves and many TPAs by themselves aren't able to do as, as good a job in looking at especially if you're an employer and you know, you're, you're in the business of making widgets, you're not in the business of evaluating uh, cost data, medical claim cost data. And that's where these cost savings investigators really bring value. Um, there is a CSI dashboard that they uh, feature to all of their participants. It's a healthcare analytics portal that offers a way uh, to access medical and pharmacy claims data and look at it better. It simplifies the claims data into an easy to understand format while highlighting areas of potential cost savings. And uh, we, could, we could do a, a complete and total um, uh, presentation just, just on that. I, I will show you, this is kind of an interesting um, piece here. They, they come out with a, a flyer and I'm happy to share this with any of you uh, if you request it. Um, what their cost savings investigators program is about, uh, who, who does it, what, what are they doing, why are they doing it, and, and then the different categories of things that they're looking at to keep costs down, ranging from how cash is handled, uh, using centers of excellence, uh, chronic kidney disease care, diabetes care, third-party administration costs, uh, surgery options, reference-based pricing, which I I know many of you have heard about before, uh, you, you, you name it. These are the things that they're out there looking at to help employers say, I can provide uh, good benefits for less money than I had been in the past. So that's uh, something to, to consider there. Again, back to the dashboard, each employer has access to this information and they get to see it for themselves. And, and think about it this way, frankly, you know, if, if I'm an insurance company and I'm not providing this information to my customer, and I, I used to do business in the workers' comp field, and, and, and you know, workers' comp carriers, by law, have to provide loss runs to employers. And those loss runs show the claims that the employer has paid, the workers' comp claims they paid, and what the conditions were, and what the ongoing things are. And yet, we don't get any of that on the health insurance side of, of things uh, in this state. If you're a small employer group with, with 100 or less people, you could be spending upwards of a million dollars a year on fully insured premium, and yet they don't get data to be able to look at what, what 
you know, what their claims are like. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation. Um, and, and then, oh, I wanted to show you one other really interesting um, slides here. Uh, this is uh, a report of Brownstone's uh, 2018 heterogeneous pool results. The average employer using Roundstone that day saved 16% compared to their fully insured option. And so what you had is you, you had uh, each employer was shown their, uh, their actual cost of claims where they fell uh, as a percentage of the expected cost. So in other words, if I'm an employer and I had expected claims of say $100,000, and I only spent out uh, 60,000 uh, of that, that would put me right here on the chart. Uh, and, and so you see some employers who were well over their expected cost, and you see a number that were well under. And this expected cost range, which is the 100% point, you know, it has kind of a plus or minus 10%, as you can see. But at the end of the day, the average actual cost ended up being 97% of expected. And, and again, if I'm an employer and I'm spending this kind of money uh, on this, uh, that adds up to some serious stuff. Uh, their, uh, their January pool summary, and they have two pools there. They have a, a pool, uh, a January 1st pool and a July 1st pool. So in this particular case, they broke it out by industry. And uh, as you can see, among 39 states, they had 227 groups in this in their January pool. And uh, as of 7-1 of, of this year, July 1st of this year, they had 50,350 enrolled lives. It's important to note here that you've got you've got uh, uh, employers all over the the the, um, uh, the SIC code range, and you've got a fair amount of construction and manufacturing, transportation. You've got a few um, uh, public administration, uh, uh, you know, governmental type stuff, but it's, but it's all over. Uh, again, that's their January pool and, and, and what that looks like. And then their uh, July pool, they call it their clarity pool. Uh, they have 82 groups enrolled in that pool with a total of 15,925 enrolled lives. So if you come into Roundstone and uh, you don't come in on either July 1st or January 1st, you would initially be issued a, a, a policy that would take you to that date. So for example, we just recently had a, a client of ours looked at uh, going into the Roundstone pool effective 12-1, which they uh, will, will do. And uh, they were, they'll be issued a 13 month initial first year policy so that their renewal will be uh, December 31st of uh, the following year, uh, 13 months. Uh, or, they'll, or they'll work them into the uh, July 1st pool, again, with either a longer or a shorter time period. But my point is, uh, you know, they, they put everybody in, the, in this common pool. Uh, that's how they uh, look at and uh, reveal, uh, that, uh, evaluate their, their data. Um, so the, the last questions I, I get is, well, how do we get started? How do we move forward on this? And, and, and you know, in, in my mind, of course, as a representative of Dickerson, you know, our role is, is to work with the advisors uh, to help them. So we'll get 
we'll get a call, we'll get contacted by an agent or a broker, an advisor, and they'll say, look, I'd like to get a proposal on, uh, on uh, the Roundstone program, or for that matter, any captive program. Uh, we'll, get, uh, we'll obtain the data that we need uh, from the advisor uh, for the employer to, to get that done. We'll then reach out to a Roundstone and go through the, the underwriting process uh, with them, negotiate those things, and then come back to you and, and we'll review those funding options and kind of customize your plan so that it fits uh, with, with, with um, I, I think, what would be the most cost-efficient way to provide those benefits. We have, we have uh, benefit plans uh, at Roundstone that, that offer both uh, PPO provider networks, and they use a variety of provider networks, including some of the Blues, some of uh, uh, Cigna, Aetna, uh, United, you know, all the big uh, folks. Uh, as well as reference-based pricing. So uh, we have some employers that will offer a PPO alongside of a reference-based pricing plan. We'll have employers that will offer um, consumer-directed HRA, HSA-type plans, as well as traditional plans. We have some that have HMO lookalikes, what we call EPOs, and others that are just uh, uh, more like an indemnity plan, uh, especially using reference-based pricing. Uh, once we come up with the customization. We, we cho help uh, choose the third-party administrator, and we have a number of contacts there, and we work with some really uh, great TPA partners. Uh, we assist you on in, in that aspect, and then we, we bring that all back to Roundstone and say, okay, so what are you going to charge us for uh, coverage costs for our um, uh, stop loss and our um, uh, uh, pooled uh, premium costs, and that we enroll the group just like normal. It's not anything different than the normal enrollment. In fact, most of our uh, enrollments are now online using something like Ease or the TPA system. That all that all goes feeds into the Roundstone system, and it's 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 basically seamless. So, what do you gain to kind of summarize this? What do you gain by going with with Roundstone? First off, you gained uh, detailed reporting that you may not be getting where you're at now, especially if you're on a fully insured plan and you're thinking about self-funding. You're going to get 100% transparency with your claims data and 100% transparency with your fixed and your variable cost information. All of the costs are very transparent. There are no hidden costs here. I mean, everything. And, that, and I'm talking about that includes broker compensation compensation to, to, to Dickerson, what we pay the TPA, what we pay for premiums for the stop loss care, all that stuff is fully transparent, no, no hidden things. Uh, you gain total control. You, they, they have a choice of networks that they want to use, uh, employers do, the claims uh, services that they want to contract with, the plan language, their plan documents, and the cost containment solutions. The employer has total control over their plan, okay? You, the, the third option is what I call financial efficiency because, again, to realize and retain the benefit from controlling costs through the variable cost funding strategy. Again, if, if, if you've got a, a situation where you're funding so much money a year um, and, and yet you're only paying for the claims as they come due, that's about as efficient as you can get. You're not putting up a lot of upfront money 
uh, and, and then waiting to get that money back at the end of the year. And again, for some employers, that's a good step. You know, that's what we call level funding. But in a but in a uh, a captive program, you, it's a more of a is a it's a pay as you go type deal. So they have much more financial efficiency there because they're controlling and holding on to their own money. And then finally, you've got a turnkey platform. Uh, it's a complete benefit solution available with all the necessary detail included in one proposal. It's a, it's you know you don't have to get you know five or six different proposals and stuff to put it all together, it's on it's on one turnkey platform. And that makes it frankly easier for not just the advisor, but also the employer to understand what's going on. And and uh, and so at, at that point, um, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Um, do we have any questions, Natalie, that, uh, that we need to uh, address? Yes, Dave, we actually have one question. And the okay. question is, how do we find out what industry captive pools are available? Um, there are a couple of different ways to do that. I mean, one of the things that we would do is if you if you came to me and said, I'm looking for a, a pool for the construction industry, um, we would um, we would reach out to our captive partners, uh, the, the ones that we've been working with, and we could um, contact them and ask them that. There are some other captives that are, are filed at the federal level um, as uh, operational captives, and many times they will, they will provide uh, annual reports. Um, it, it's, 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 it's more of an industry thing than it is a, a, a governmental or um, a, what I would call a regulatory uh, thing. So we, we rely particularly on our, our uh, uh, membership in the Self-Insurance Institute of America, where I get a lot of my information. I'll go in there and say, I'm looking for a, a captive that specializes in governmental entities, for example. And generally, SIIA as a member will communicate to me, well, here's what we have on file of captives that are members of SIIA uh, who will tell you that. And my attitude is, if they're a member of SIIA, they're probably somebody that you want to do business with. Um, and that's that's just my own personal opinion. Uh, any other questions? Let me, uh, I'm sorry. Hi, Dave. Um, yes, we have yeah. one more question. The next question is, what minimum size group would you recommend? You know, I get that, I get asked that a lot. Um, in, in the case of Roundstone, they, they have a, a minimum employee life of 50 employees, although they also will go down as low as 20, depending on certain other things. Uh, typically, here's what I think. Um, if I'm an employer and I'm paying $100,000 or more in fully insured premium, I would consider uh, a captive or a self-insured or a level funded program as an alternative. This is just this is just my my opinion based on years of experience. So if I'm paying $100,000 a year in premium, the chances are I might want to start looking at some sort of alternative funding, including a captive. I think if you're less than $100,000, I, I, typically you're not going to see necessarily the um, the advantages of this. There there are other things you can do, but 
I'm not sure that a captive is really uh, all that good. Um, but, but you know, I like to say that anywhere between 20 and 40 uh, uh, employees in a group, but if they're generating $100,000 or more of fully insured premium, then then we can start talking about a captive or a self-funded type arrangement. That's just a kind of a rule of thumb that I've learned over the years. Good question. We have to, um, the next question is, what's minimum spec deductible for California groups? Well, as you know, our friends at the state legislature enacted a bill called SB 161. And as of uh, January 1st, 2016, the minimum specific stop loss in California is $40,000. There's also a minimum aggregate stop loss as well. And that's $5,000 per member per year. So all of these captives that operate have to meet those California requirements. Here's what I believe I'm seeing now. When you, when you take a, a $5,000 minimum uh, aggregate attachment point per member, and you now look at fully insured premium rates that are, that are uh, certainly running, you know, four to $500 per person per month uh, in this market, uh, you begin to see that after, uh, with a $5,000 aggregate uh, attachment point, that self-funding will make sense. But again, in California, the rule is a 40,000 specific minimum and a $5,000 aggregate minimum. And all of the captives that we work with follow that law. So the practical reality is if you've got a rich benefit plan, say a, a platinum or a gold benefit plan that might cost 500 to uh, let's say four to five thousand dollars per person per year, and that's not outrageously uh, unusual anymore. Um, then I think this has some good potential. But if you're providing a, um, uh, a, a a bronze or a silver plan where the fully insured premium is is say below four hundred dollars uh, per person per month, that eh, may not be as good. Now. Keep in mind that this law simply says that that's what you have in the way of an aggregate attachment point or a specific attachment point. You can still self-fund. What happens though is that you get that money back if you've overfunded it. If you've funded your aggregate attachment point to $5,000 a year and your claims come in at $2,000, guess what? You get the $3,000 back. So uh so these things meet the, the state requirements and there are other states with similar laws they meet those requirements but uh, it doesn't seem to be slowing them down in terms of signing new cases up because of the way these people fund fund their plan i hope that makes sense and if and if you're not sure that i explained that very well uh you you're certainly welcome to give me a call back and and uh, i can chat with you one on one any other questions? Yes, um, a few came in actually. Okay. Um, the next one is, can a new captive be started? Yes, uh, new captives are probably started all the time. Uh, Roundstone, as I said, has been around since 2003. 
there are some others that we work with uh, here at Dickerson that are uh, 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 not as old as Roundstone, and there are a couple that are older than Roundstone. Um, but yes, new captives can be started all the time. What you have to do is you have to bring together uh, a bunch of employers who believe in this concept. So I've seen trade associations or other uh, organizations, especially of the same industry, uh, bring their members together and say, let's let's pool together. And, and you know, um, a few years ago, uh, there were a number of different uh, trade associations that said, we're going to set up MIWAs. And, and because a MIWA ends up being a, under the jurisdiction of, of state uh, regulation, MIWAs are no longer permitted in California. But a benefit captive, like what we're talking about, when each employer is setting up their own self-funded plan, uh, are uh, feasible to do, and and I think they're they're growing in in number throughout the country. Next question. The next question is: Can this captive work with Kaiser? Yes, they can. Uh, most captives will tell you that they they you know they want a minimum of of X number of people enrolled, and let's just say that that number happens to be fifty. Okay. Um, and so, yes, they will go alongside of, uh, of a Kaiser-type HMO plan. In fact, that's one of the more popular things that we're doing right now is, is putting uh, either level-funded or self-funded or captive programs alongside of a Kaiser plan. There are some tricks that, to how to do that, uh, but, but they, they do work, and, and it is actively being done. Great. Thank you so much, um, Dave Fear. Um, it looks like that's the end of our questions. Once again, thank you everyone for joining us. We're going to post the link to this webinar on our website within the next 24 hours. And we did get one attendee ask, can we have the slides? And yes, I will be sending you um, a copy of the slides within the next 24 to 48 hours. Of course, um, you see here how to contact us if you have any further questions. Thank you so much and thank you, Dayfear. And thank you everyone and have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.